Well, last week we started a, uh, a series um, called That's Not in the Bible. And uh, uh, we're looking at uh, fibs, half-truths, and flat-out religious lies. And the first misunderstanding, fib, lie that uh, we've been sold, that we, we tackled last week, was salvation means giving your life to God. And we showed you that that's not biblical at all, because what would God do with your life? We, didn't, we do not need, God does not need our life, but we needed his life. And Christianity is not about you giving your life to God. It's about God giving his life to you. And if you weren't here, and that sounds strange to you, and you thought that, oh, I, I thought, I'm proud of giving my life to the Lord. Well, go listen to the, to the message. I won't go into any more than that. Um, because Christianity is not about the sacrifice that we make. There's, we talked about this last week. There's 10,000. They say that there's 10,000 different religions in the world, and that's absolutely false. There is not 10,000 different religions in the world. There is only two religions in the world. There is the religion of man, and there's the religion of Jesus Christ. The religion of man is works. What, there's a list of things that you have to do to be right with God. There's a ladder that you must climb to reach up to the heavens. And then there's the, there's the religion of Jesus Christ, which says that in man's inability to ever climb that ladder, in, in man's inability to ever reach up to heaven, in man's ability to ever earn salvation, God came down, became man. And in that servant body did for humanity that what man could not do on his own. And now we enter into the presence of God. We enter into the very life of God, not based on what we have done, but on faith in what Jesus Christ has done. And we have been sealed by the Spirit of God, and we are one spirit with him forever, for all eternity. That's a big difference. Amen? Amen. And we, we shared this idea of what religion, what reli the definition of a religion is. And when you get right down to the root, it comes from the Latin. And, and it's, it's R-E-L-I-G-A-R-E. -E, all right? And the word actually means to bind fast. That's what religion means. And, and like I said, when, at Karis here, about 99% of the times when you hear, hear the word religion used, it's usually in a negative context. Condentation, right? It's, it's a negative. Because we were not created for religion. We were created for relationship. We were actually created for grace. And, 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 and religion actually gets its meaning to me by bind fast or to restrain something. And all the definitions have to do with the concept of being bound up. And we talked about this last week is that in these messages, we're basically given us and those that listen, those that have ears to listen, let them hear. Those who have eyes to see, let them see. We're, we're giving us a spiritual enema. We're being set free 
from the bondage and being bound by man-made religion. And, and, and religion almost always universal, universally refers to a set of behavioral standards derived from a person's religious beliefs. And if you go on the street and ask the, the average person, what, what does it mean to be a Christian? What is Christianity all about? I would guarantee you that most of them would say, well, it's about the Ten Commandments. And some, some guy named Jesus. Well, I'm here to tell you it's only about that guy named Jesus. Christianity has nothing to do with the law or the, the covenant of death. That's what, that's what Paul called the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. That, that, that any glory that it even might have had fails in comparisons and is, is almost completely, it, it, and has been completely passed, passed away compared to the glory of the new covenant in Christ Jesus. Christianity is not about a set of laws that we keep, but it's a new identity. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a new life. It's, 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 a, it's a new family that you've been adopted and brought into. It, it's, it's so much more than just a set of rules. And we must never allow, you must never allow religion to charge you for something that God gives freely. And everything that God gives us in Christ Jesus was given freely. That's why it's called grace. Grace, God's grace is not cheap. You hear a lot of preachers say, you're just preaching um, greasy grace, sloppy agape. You're just pre you're pre you're, you're preaching, you're preaching just cheap grace. No, grace is not cheap. It's so expensive that you could never afford it. You could never afford God's grace. That's why he has to give it to you freely. That's why he has to give it to you freely. <laughs> Lots of Christians start, started the practice of observing Lent this week. Or, and and uh, Lent, if for those that may not know, Lent is a period preceding Easter that in the Christian church is devoted to fasting, um, abstinence, and repentance and remembrance of Christ fasting in the wilderness. In the Western church, it runs from Ash Wednesday to Holy Saturday and, and includes 40 weekdays, all right? And we do not normally um, observe Lent here, but I'm going to ask the Karis family, along with me, to participate in this tradition of abstaining this year. All right? I'm going to ask that we fast, that we abstain from the religious lies that, that we have been hold, that has been holding us back from everything that is ours in Christ Jesus. Right? We're, we're, we're slaughtering, we're slaughtering sacred cows. These are little things like I gave my life to Jesus. These are little things that we hold on to. And, and we don't understand the pride that's in that. The arrogance that is in that. Because we, in our unrenewed mind, in our flesh, we like 
the idea of contributing something. We, we, I, I did something. I, I gave my life to the Lord. The truth of the matter is, you wouldn't even know the Lord if he hadn't revealed himself to you. We, we played no part in our salvation. Nothing at all. And that's a good news. Why is that good news? It's good news because you screw it up. If we had any part to play in our salvation, we would screw it up. Amen. So thank God we have nothing to play, that it's all of Jesus. Amen. So, so we're going to be sliding these sacred crowds. Don't come up and tell me if I, if I touch your prize bull. It, it, just let's have a barbecue. Let's, right? Ribeyes for everyone. So, <laughs> so we're going to get back to slaughtering today with our next religious lie, the religious lie of just a sinner saved by grace. This is probably, this is pro- probably one of the most repeated lies by Christians of all of them. That I'm just a sinner saved by grace. This belief, this, this belief has caused the church to be held back from everything she has been called to be in Christ Jesus. And it has, count, it has caused countless Christians to fall terribly short from the life that the Bible says that we can live in Christ Jesus. I mean, most of the time when we use this um, saying, it's, it's win and failure. To justify our actions. Well, just remember, just remember, you know, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Or what do you expect? What do you expect, brother? What do you expect, sister? What do you expect, church? We're just all a bunch of sinners saved by grace. Do you hear the defeat in that? See, the Proverbs 23.7 tells us that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And listen to this. You will not act consistently in ways that are contrary to what you believe about yourself. You will not act. You will not live in a way that's contrary to your self-image, how you see yourself, what you believe. Do you understand that? If you believe that you're a sinner, then what's your default setting? Sin. If you believe that you're a sinner, then you will sin because you will do what you believe. And I I know, I know that that we don't talk about that in church, right? We we say all the right things in, in church. But, but, what, but this is so true. People say the right things to the, in church. They'll say the right things to, to the pastor. But if, if you stick around them long enough, you'll start hearing what they really believe. Right? You, you can't live. You can't, you can't live contrary to what you believe in your heart. And so if you believe that you're a sinner, even if you're a sinner saved by grace, your default setting is to be a to sin. 
Most of us don't understand what humanity's biggest problem is. Most of you don't know what your biggest problem was. See, most of us, when we shared the gospel or, or had the gospel shared with us, what's the number one thing that's stressed when the gospel shared with someone? That if you believe upon Jesus Christ, God will forgive your sins. Right? I want to be saved so God can forgive my sins. We think that our biggest problem was the need for the forgiveness of sins. God could forgive sins without Jesus going to the cross. I can forgive you for something that you did against me. God could forgive sins without Jesus going to the cross. So evidently, there must have been something a lot bigger than the need for forgiveness for sins that humanity needed. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, it says, But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you shall certainly die. Uh, most of us know what this scripture is talking about. It's talking about the original fall of Adam and Eve in the garden when they partake of the, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Notice that it was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Up to this point, they had only known good. And what they decided for themselves, they decided that we want to choose for ourselves what is good and what is evil. And you see that played out in the very first murder of Cain and Abel. They, they, they decided for themselves what is good and what is evil. And and what basically what they said we're saying is we want to be God. We want to determine what's right, what's right for us. And what God says is that when that happens, when when that happens, when you leave the life of God and you 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 enter in into death, that it produces death. And we know that Adam and Eve did not immediately die, did they? They lived for hundreds of years after the fall. So this death wasn't just physical death, even though it will lead to physical death, right? Sin will lead to death in your life, right? If there's sin in your finances, guess what's going to happen? It's the death of your finances. If, there, if there's sin in your marriage, guess what's going to happen? It's going to lead to the death of your marriage. If, there, if there's Sin produces death. But the death that they experienced wasn't physical, even though the death that they experienced has an impact on their physical life. The death that they experienced was spiritual. They spiritually died. They became independent from God. 
And who is God? The source of all life. So, before, don't misunderstand me. We need forgiveness of our sins. But we need forgiveness for our sins to get out of the prison of condemnation. To know that God has forgiven us. That we have been cleansed. And it frees us from the condemnation and guilt that we carried from our misdeeds. But that wasn't our biggest problem. The biggest problem is, is we were dead. And what do dead men need? They need life, right? And in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, it says, but God. I've said this a lot of times, but I love it when God gets his butt in there. But God, but God, being rich in mercy. How, how can you? What? God is rich in condemnation, guilt. God, God is rich in punishment. No, what's God rich in? He's rich in mercy. This is good news. He's rich in mercy. But we tell people, we tell people that God wants to send you to hell. We tell people that God, God, if you don't give your life to God, we tell them, if you don't do something, God's going to send you to hell. Instead of telling the good news, God is rich in mercy. And he, he wants to give you his life. You, think about this. Right away, you're telling someone the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you're, and you're sharing with them and saying, you need to do this, this, and this. You, you, you're unworthy. You're no good. Oh, that, that opens people right up, doesn't it? But if someone came up to you and said, do you know that God is so filled with mercy? And do you know that God wants so much more for you? God actually wants to give you his life. All of a sudden, someone, you hear that, you're thinking, what does that mean? What does it mean that God wants to give me his life? See, and then you, it just, gospel just becomes a conversation then. And it becomes good, right? But God is rich. I mean, we're talking Scrooge McDuck, swimming in money, rich in mercy. I mean, he's doing backstrokes in, in mercy. But because, because of his great love, which he loved us. And when, when was he rich in mercy? When, when was this great love in which he loved us? When it, was it when you got your closet clean? Was it when you... When you uh, got your life in order, when it was, was it when you finally started tithing? Was it when you, the first time that you read the Bible all the way through? Was it the, the time when you stopped drinking beer and you actually spent time with your wife? I mean, what? what when was it? it? It was when we were dead in our wrongdoings. We were dead in our wrongdoings. And he made us alive together. See, this isn't independent no more. 
You're not, you're not rising up on your own. You're not rising up even in your own spirit. You're rising up, up made alive together. See, that's the difference between us and Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve could lose their position because it was their spirit. We are recreated, not in our spirit, but up together in Christ's spirit. We are one spirit with him. Do you understand that? You have been made one with the very spirit of God. You haven't been raised up independently. You have been raised up together in Christ. By grace, you have been saved. This is awesome. And look what it goes on, this, and, and 2 Corinthians tells us, 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this person is a new creation. That literally means something that has never existed before. You are something that, has, that this world has never seen before. You are a new creation. Old things passed away. So what's the old things? There's old things that are gone. They're passed away. Behold, new things have come. Let's look at how the Amplified Version translates this. If you're not familiar with the Amplified Version, what they do is they, the Greek words in the Bible have such a Expansive definition compared to um, our English words. So one Greek word can mean so much more, has so much depth, more depth to it than our English words. So what they do is they, they try to amplify those words in the Bible. And in the Second Corinthians 5.17 in the Amplified says, Therefore, if any person is engrafted, Engrafted. Don't you love that? Do you love that word? I mean, I love that word. And, and if you don't love it, you're about to. When, when you have a vineyard or you have an apple orchard or orange orchard, oh, honey crisp apples. I mean, they're the best, right? Those didn't just appear on the scene. Men engrafted different apple trees together to produce that apple. And when you engraft an apple or a tree, one tree into another tree, they become one. Again, this is that baptism. This is that marriage Im imagery of the two becoming one flesh. You, we, were engrafted into Christ. We, we were engrafted. Um, Paul even talks about this. If a wild olive is grafted into a, a domestic olive, they become one. And don't get so proud that you were grafted in because God's able to graft in Anything that he wants, basically, he's saying. You were engrafted into Christ. And, and, and 
If any person, any of you, is engrafted into Christ the Messiah, he is a new creation, a new creature altogether. The old previous moral and spiritual condition has passed away. Behold, a fresh and new have come. If you understand this scripture, and I think we've made it as plain as possible, there is no way you can understand this scripture and still call yourself a sinner saved by grace. And I could stop right here, but I'm not. In Galatians 2.20, in Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. This is Paul writing. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. What did Paul mean here? What did Paul mean when he wrote, it is no longer I who live? Yes, Paul is saying God took the old sinner, Paul, or Saul, whose spiritual roots had come from his his sinful family, Adam, and crucified him with Jesus Christ, putting that old man to death once and for all. Then, Through Christ's resurrection, he raised him up, recreated him as St. Paul, and put him in the righteous family of Jesus Christ. And what happened to Paul is the same thing that happened to you. It's the same thing that happened to me. You are not a sinner anymore. You are a saint. Whoa, can you say that? How many of you sign your letters? St. Saint Fritz, right? St. Ryan. Doris, you're saint. See, a lot of us would say, oh, I could never say that. Those are for the super dupers. Do you realize that that's prideful? It's prideful to not accept the label that God has given you. We are saints of God. Believe the good news. In Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are his workmanship, this is, good, this is good, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, so that we would walk in them. This word workmanship, it actually means that of a poet or an art artist. All right? And, and, and when, did, when, did, when did God do this? When did God, when did God make us his workmanship? When you were created in Christ Jesus, do you understand that in Christ Jesus, you are a completely new creation? 
You, you, humanity it does not get to the pinnacle of what God intended it to be until they come to the realization and embrace grace by faith that they are a new creation in Christ Jesus. You, you will never reach everything that God intended you to be, that this world, that what God intended this world to be, until we embrace the fact that we have been, we were dead in our sins and trespasses. He raised us to new life in Christ Jesus, and he made us new creations in him. Hallelujah. I feel like cheering myself on. Good preaching, Chad. Yeah, that's the good news. Someone's got to give me some encouragement. <clears throat> Look at how the New Living Translation puts this. The New Living Translation, he, he, he writes, For we are God's masterpiece. Do you know in Christ Jesus, in Christ, you are perfect. You are a masterpiece. You are perfect. There is no tweaking in your spirit, in your recreated spirit, in your born-again spirit. There is, well, let's just say what the Bible says. You are just like Jesus. You are just like Jesus. You are perfect. You are his masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned us for us long ago. And the reason why we can finally do what God's always planned humanity to do is because we're in Christ Jesus. Do you, I'm just going to throw this out there real quick. But look at every civilization. Look at every civilization and how, how um, wisdom and knowledge increased in those civilizations. And then look at if the gospel was preached and embraced in those civilizations. You can look that up. Look. Think about that later. In Christ Jesus, we reach the fullness of all that God ever intended us to be. We've all seen those movies. I'm a movie guy. I like movies. Because you can learn a lot about culture. You can learn about a lot about humanity by the art that they produce. And there's those movies, you know, where there's a kingdom and an evil kingdom comes against the kingdom and it looks like they're going to lose, so they take the heir to the throne, they take the prince, and they, they, they um, give him to some caregivers and they take him away into the countryside, right? And, and this, this, this prince is growing up never knowing where, where his roots were. And he grew, grew up just as a, uh, as a as the movies say, the, a peasant. He's working, the, he's farming, he's, he's doing these things. And then all of a sudden, they come to find him. They come to find him because he's the heir to the throne. 
right? And they, and they bring them back into, into the, to the castle, into the throne, and they put the crown on his head. I got a question for you. When did he become royal? When he was conceived, right? When he was conceived. That's when he became royal. When he was out plowing the fields, he was royal. When he was living as a peasant, he was royal. It wasn't when they finally put a crown on his head. It wasn't when they sat him on the throne that he became royal. He was born royal, right? Amen. You were born a saint. The Bible literally calls us kings and priests unto our Lord. You were born that way. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to have a title. You don't have to have reach a certain place within the church or do a certain amount of good deeds or have a certain amount of miracles assigned to your name. You were born a saint. You were born a priest unto our Lord and a king in the earth. You were born that way. The New Testament calls you a saint 63 times. And you want to know something? It never, ever, 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 ever once calls you a sinner. The New Testament never calls a believer in Christ Jesus a sinner, not once. And we have embraced this lie. Saint means holy one. And we are holy as a result of God's work, not our work. You were born that way. I'm sorry, there's nothing you can do about it. You're a holy roller. There's nothing you can do. You were born that way. If, if people say, well, you think you're holy? I'm sorry. Yeah, I was born that way. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, it says, to the church. He's right, Paul's writing into the church of God, which is in Corinth. Now, who, has anybody read the 1 and 2 Corinthians? These guys, I wouldn't want to be the pastor of this church. I mean, they're getting drunk at communion. You got one guy, there's incest in there. There's sexual perversion with temple prostitutes and all of this stuff. I mean, man, oh, man. Well, Paul writes to him in this first letter. This isn't after they got their act together. In his first letter, he says to the church of God, which is Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling with all who have ever placed or who in every place call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. He starts off his letter writing to these people that aren't acting what we would consider holy. And he calls them saints. He, 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 calls, them, he calls them that they're sanctified. In Christ Jesus. And not only them, not only them, but all, everyone in every place that has ever called on the name of the Lord. Look at what Hebrews 10.10 says. By this will, we have been sanctified 
through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Once for all time. Calling us sanctified is the same thing as calling us saints. It's not talking about our actions. It's talking about our identity. It's talking about how you were created, how you were born. Make no mistake, you are a saint in Christ Jesus. You are a saint. That's how God sees you. And if we can't act any different than how we, we can't live contrary to how we believe in our hearts. What would happen if you truly believe that you're a saint of God? And now I know, I can hear it. I can hear the, the religious ringing in your ears. The religion is just ringing in your ears. Well, what, what about Paul? Paul, 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 he called himself a sinner. It's amazing how people will fight, want to fight to remain in the dung heap. Paul, he, he called himself a sinner. Well, let's look at that. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, it says, Paul writing to Timothy, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost. Paul is the greatest sinner. Paul said he was the, great, the greatest sinner there is. If Paul was talking about him still being a sinner, and he's talking about that he's a sinner in his saved state of being a new creation in Christ Jesus. He counterdicts almost 90% of his writings or more. When I say the phrase, I'm the champion of the world. Does that ring any bells to anybody? Muhammad Ali. He always says, I'm the champion of the world. And what's ironic about this is that even after Muhammad Ali retired and no longer boxed anymore, he still called himself the champion of the world. Even though he wasn't the champion anymore. This, this claim was because he had the best record than anybody else ever had, even to this day. Right? But he wasn't the boxing champion of the world. We, we don't call Muhammad Ali a liar for saying that he's the, the greatest there ever was. Right? Paul was not saying that he's still out sinning more than anyone. Paul's not saying that I, I, I still, I'm, you, you think that's sin. You should check this out. Watch this. Yeah, I heard that. What he, what he meant was that before he met Christ, no one had topped his sinning record. See. Paul never 
lost the sense of the amazing grace that saved him. And we shouldn't either. We shouldn't either. The idea, the idea that you are just a sinner saved by grace is a lie. This religious lie falls terribly short of the glorious truth that is revealed to us in Christ Jesus. The New Testament declares that we are saints. We have been sanctified, made saints, by the finished work of Jesus Christ. And if we don't get this one right, we will never live the triumphant life that Jesus Christ has given us by birthright. We need to recognize who we really are, our life, and, and when we recognize who we really are, when we believe who we really are, our lives will be lives that will glorify him more and more and more as we awaken to these new, re, new creation realities that are ours already in Christ Jesus. We aren't sinners. By Christ's work, we have been transformed into a completely new creation, a completely new creature called a saint. Hallelujah. You were a sinner. You got saved by grace. And now you're a saint. So will you join me? Will you join me this season, Lent 2021? In forsaking this lie and start affirming the truth about your true identity in Christ Jesus. That's something I can give up. Amen? Amen. Let's, 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 let's pray and we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're just going to worship him and close singing about our, 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 our identity in him. Um, Father, we just thank you. We thank you for your grace. Hallelujah. We thank you that it's given to us freely. We thank you that when we were dead in our sins, in our wrongdoings, when we were dead in the grave of Adam, when we, when we had no power to save ourselves, you loved us. And in your, the richness of your mercy, you saved us and rescued us. Father, we thank you that we're no longer sinners, but in Christ Jesus, we have been engrafted into the very spirit of God himself. And we've been raised up with him, seated with him in, in heavenly places. And you call us saints. We have been sanctified by the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would convict us of our righteousness, that you would convict us of our identity in Christ Jesus, that you would convict us to our sainthood in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. That, it would, that, would, that you would cause us to rise up and be the glorious church that God has created us in Christ Jesus to be. We praise you, and we close and worship to you. We love you, Father. Just be, The only reason we can say we love you is because you loved us first. We, we're just giving you back what you've already given us. We just love you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.charisntc.org. And remember, you are deeply loved, highly favored, and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.